Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. California Assembly District 18 in the East Bay is a fascinating place. It encompasses all of Oakland south of 580, all of Alameda and San Leandro. It's got rich hill dwellers and some of the poorest neighborhoods in the Bay Area and a lot of places in between. But in an upcoming special election to replace Rob Bonta, now state attorney general, voters in District 18 will face a choice that's become familiar to a lot of people between two progressive candidates, Mia Bonta and a member of the party's ascendant left flank, Janani Ramachandran. We've got both candidates with us this morning, so stay tuned for Forum after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Alameda School Board member Mia Bonta and attorney Jenani Ramachandran are vying to represent East Bay Assembly District 18 and succeed Bonta's husband, Rob Bonta, who resigned to become the California Attorney General. A special runoff election on August 31st will determine who will become the next representative for the district, which covers West Oakland down to San Leandro. We'll talk with the candidates to get their views on housing, the A's Howard Terminal Plan, because that falls within the district, criminal justice reform, and more. But joining us first to explain how we got here to this special election is Guy Marzarati, KQED reporter and producer with the California Politics and Government Desk. Welcome, Guy. Great to be with you. So, Guy, uh, talk to me about this district. So this is, uh, you know, in the East Bay, spanning from Oakland down to San Leandro, as you mentioned, also includes uh, Alameda. It's one of the most liberal districts in California. And I think that's why you've ended up where we are today in this special election with two progressive Democrats vying for the seat. And it's kind of interesting, too, right, because it's got it's got the hills. It kind of runs down along the inner bay. And so you kind of have hill dwellers where incomes are generally higher. But you also have some of the poorest neighborhoods in all of the bay. That's right. So you have uh, East Oakland, most actually most of the city of Oakland. And it's interesting. There has there is no candidate. Hasn't been a, a real high profile candidate uh, in this race from Oakland government. You have a, candidates, you know, from the cities uh, surrounding uh, San Leandro officials from Alameda. Um, Ramachandran is uh, from Oakland, but we haven't seen any big, you know, high profile Oakland politicians jump into this race, uh, which has kind of been an interesting dynamic to follow. Huh. So what sort of political dominoes fell to get us here to this spot? Uh you know, it was a it was a long chain of events that actually started at the top when President Joe Biden picked Javier Becerra to join his administration as Health and Human Services Secretary. Uh, that left a vacancy in the Attorney General's office. Governor Gavin Newsom appointed Rob Bonta, who had represented this district in the legislature since 2012. Once Bonta was confirmed as Attorney General in the spring, that opened up 
uh, a vacancy in this district. And that's how you ended up with a special election. I guess we can call a special election primary that happened at the end of June um, with these two candidates advancing to this special election uh, happening at the end of August. Yeah. So in the primary for the special election, I mean, did did a lot of people come out for this election or was turnout pretty low? No, turnout was really low. It was about 20 percent of registered voters, um, which I think, you know, is common in these kind of special elections for state offices uh, at the district level. But this election was one in which every registered voter received a ballot in the mail by default. And I think combined with some of uh, the other turnout numbers we saw in similar assembly special elections in San Diego this year, in Los Angeles uh, earlier this year, I think it painted a picture that maybe just sending people a ballot by default is not enough to spur the kind of turnout levels we saw in 2020. and so it'll be interesting to see if this if the turnout here creeps up a little more, considering that perhaps voters are a little more attuned to elections happening in general. Right. If you live in this district, you will have received a ballot in the mail for this special election and also for the upcoming gubernatorial recall election. So perhaps there's just a little bit more election consciousness. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that actually affects the turnout in the end. Now, were these two candidates, Ramachandran and Banta, were they the ones that people expected to emerge from this special election scrum? I think they were among the leading candidates. I mean, certainly Bonta, with her name identification, is uh, the candidate you would have expected to finish first in a primary. Um, Malia Vela was Alameda's uh, vice mayor. She also was was in the running. I think it might have been a little surprising she didn't advance uh, to this to this general election. Um, but you know, it was a crowded field. You had eight candidates. You had. Uh, a lot of organized labor endorsements splintering between Bonta, Vela, and Ramachandran. Um, so it was, you know, it was kind of a, a split race in, in that effect. And so many candidates in the mix uh, who had may have had some name ID in some parts of the district uh, made it kind of hard to predict going in. Yeah. So, you know, Ramachandran is interesting. She's only a couple years out of Berkeley Law School, Stanford undergrad. Um, what else do we know about sort of what she's done in the community? So she's been an attorney uh, in the district. She's worked a lot with, uh, you know, domestic uh, violence survivors and and, uh, folks facing eviction. Um, In this race, she kind of came in as, you know, a political newbie. She had served on the Oakland Ethics Commission. And I think she'd really aligned herself kind of with the, we can maybe say the Bernie-crat wing uh, of the party. She got support from Our Revolution, the the group that came out of Sanders' run for president, um, and a lot of kind of grassroots progressive support um, in the campaign. I think it's her challenges has been throughout this campaign to piece together a coalition that's not kind of the establishment progressives in this race. Right. We saw, you know, most of sitting legislators endorse Bonta. We saw a lot of the labor endorsements that Vela had gotten in the primary then shift to Bonta in this general election. So I think it really uh, fell to Ramachandran now to piece together a coalition to go up against that. Mm. So, we, you know, we know, as you mentioned, you know, at the state level, we've seen this kind of emergent left flank of the Democratic Party and obviously at the national level. So it's all symbolized by AOC. Um, but how have those candidates actually fared in Northern California, which we think of as a very progressive place? You know, I think in 
primaries, we've seen similar primaries to this. One that obviously comes to mind is right next door in kind of northern Oakland and Berkeley in the 15th Assembly District, where a couple of years ago there was uh, at a general election between two Democrats, Buffy Wicks and Javanka Beckles. Beckles was, again, more of like the Sanders-aligned uh, candidate. And in that case, Wicks won. It was a really uh, spirited uh, election, to say the least. Um, but I think you see the kind of the institutional challenges for progressives um, in, you know, trying to come up with some kind of uh, coalition that could take on more of an establishment candidate. What's interesting, I will say, about the 18th Assembly District races, a lot of times when you have these Democrat on Democrat general elections, it's a business versus labor breakdown. We see labor get behind one candidate and like the Chamber of Commerce, those types of groups behind another. In this case, and I think it's a reflection of the fact of, of how liberal this di- district is, there isn't a real business candidate in here. We haven't seen, you know, for example, the Chamber of Commerce create a super PAC and spend a lot of money in this race. There, There's labor endorsements for Bonta. There's labor endorsements for Ramachandran. So I think that's kind of a, reflect, a unique reflection of this East Bay district. So we're going to keep talking with you, Guy, for a couple more minutes, but we also want to put out the call out to listeners here. We're going to have the candidates on just after the break, and we want to know what your questions are. So give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. These would be questions for Mia Bonta and Attorney Janani Ramachandran, who are vying to represent East Bay Assembly District 18. You can, of course, also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Guy, what are the big issues in this district? You know, I think the the issues for voters are similar to other Bay Area districts in that housing is paramount. And I think you've seen a lot of emphasis on that in all the candidate forums, um, you know, pressing candidates on solutions for the housing crisis and kind of asking them about the, their balance of focus on affordable housing and how they'd approach zoning reforms, uh, which have been really controversial virtual, even among Democrats uh, in the Bay Area. Um, in this specific race, I think you've seen a split on the Howard Terminal proposal uh, that you mentioned. I'd be interested to hear from the candidates kind of how they see the legislature's potential role going forward in that and any other o- Oakland A's development. Um, but that is an issue in which you've seen Bonta and Ramachandran split on. Yeah. And how about let's get a quick refresher on the big things that the state assembly, which the candidate who wins will be joining next year. Right. So I think, you know, first and foremost for these candidates, whoever wins this will be in the seat in time for the end of session when we have a lot of, you know, the most controversial bills usually come up. Um, And housing will be right at the forefront of that. There's a couple of zoning reform bills um, to potentially, you know, change rules, making it easier to build duplexes in the state. Um, that these candidates, potentially whoever wins this, would have an opportunity to vote on. Um, so that's, you know, one top thing that, that comes to mind. How about in sort of police reform? You know, obviously, after last year, there were a lot of bills as well as sort of movement building around uh, criminal justice reform. Um, where did that end up sort of in the in the assembly? You know, I think there's, there's still going to be an opportunity to vote on that this year, the, a bill uh, to decertify police officers who have misconduct in, in, in an effort to prevent them from kind of going district to, uh, sorry, uh, department to department um, if they have prior misconduct is something that both of these, either of these assembly members would face a vote on um, if they make it to the assembly. Um, I'm not sure. I haven't really heard a lot of daylight between these two candidates on where they stand on criminal justice reform, um, but that police decertification bill is something that will come up uh, first and foremost for them. Yeah. And also we're 
uh, obviously still in the midst uh, of a pandemic. And do have we heard anything from these candidates about how their approach to COVID and public health protections um, differs? You know, I, not so much on the public health front, I haven't heard, although it'll be certainly interesting to ask them. Um, you know, I think they would certainly be supportive of the kind of uh, stimulus or economic recovery efforts you've seen from the state legislature. That's actually been something Democrats have been pretty aligned on in Sacramento uh, is boosting these efforts from Governor Newsom, for example, to send out $600 checks, uh, you know, support business recovery, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Last thing, Guy, um, you know, in a lot of larger elections, you hear a ton of polling numbers. You know, you kind of know where people stand. Right. Um, Local election like this, oftentimes not a lot of polling, right? That's right. And it's usually, you know, candidates themselves will be doing uh, polling, but public polling is really non-existent uh, in these kind of, you know, district uh, elections. Um, I think it's, you know, it's left up in this case to get a read on on kind of the the uh, grassroots attention they're getting, fundraising. Sometimes campaigns will release polls that they've done. Um, but in this case, we haven't really seen any authoritative polling on this race so far. Got it. Thank you so much to Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer with KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. My pleasure. So after a short break, we'll be talking with the two candidates that Guy and I have been discussing to rep- who want to represent Assembly District 18 in the East Bay. Um, that's going to be Janani Ramachandran, an attorney, and Mia Banta, the president of Alameda Unified School District Board of Education. And we want to hear your questions for the candidates. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Keep those questions coming in. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're now joined by the two candidates vying to represent Assembly District 18 in the East Bay. And we'd like to welcome Janani Ramachandran, an attorney. Welcome. Hi there. And we also have Mia Bonta, president of the Alameda Unified School District Board of Education and also a candidate for the seat. Welcome, Mia. Great to be with you. So just to set the ground rules here, I mean, this is forum. It's not a traditional debate. So we won't be precisely timing you as candidates, but we do want to be fair and make sure you have your chance to make your case to the voters. So if one of you filibusters, I'm going to cut in. Um, And we also want people to really get a sense of you, not just a list of positions that we can get from your websites. So before we get into the policy questions, why don't you introduce yourself to people by briefly telling us about a specific place 
that you love in your district. And um, let's start with you, Janani. Hi there. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Janani Ramachandran. I'm a social justice attorney um, here in uh, living in the city of Oakland. And ooh, a place that I love in the district, I would have to say um, there is a beautiful uh, set of murals um, a little east of the lake, close to where I live. It's um, kind of a beautiful, secluded, happy place. There's always a lot of, there's often a lot of music going on there and just really community-driven art, which is something that I've always been a part of um, as a former performing artist myself. And it's nice to be in this space with community. Cool. And Mia? Hi, I'm Mia Bonta. Great to be with you. I've uh, been able to be a part of this district for the better part of 20 years. Uh, one of my more recent uh, places that I really am valuing is the Acoma Market in East Oakland, the home of the Black Cultural Zone, and where so many leaders have come together to be able to fight for uh, an opportunity zone that would allow us to have affordable housing, uh, to be able to support the spirit of entrepreneurship and uh, and uh, artists and and uh, workers and people who are fighting every single day to make a living, uh, especially during COVID. And it's just so representative of the spirit of what I think this district is about. Mm-hmm. Mia Bonta, let's stay with you. What do you think is the most pressing issue in Assembly District 18? I think in Assembly District 18, we really need to make sure that we're uh, having us go through the process of remembrance of who we are and who we can be. Uh, as we think about the kind of displacement that has happened for so many people, uh, the kind of uh, healthcare challenges that we faced uh, with COVID and the pandemic especially, I think we're facing issues around homelessness, around affordable housing, around our ability to make sure that we have economic uh, viability and mobility and, uh, and that our students and our children and our families are protected and on a pathway to educational opportunity. Janani, what do you see as the biggest issues in the district? The biggest issues certainly include housing. We are losing, we have lost 20, Oakland has lost over 25% of its Black population over the past two decades. People who live and work and call District 18 home have been steadily leaving because things are extremely unaffordable. Um, The power of corporate greed and corruption has really caused people to be fleeing this city. And I think, you know, all the other issues that are on the top of people's minds, including environmental justice as we head into fire season, school reopening and the inadequacy of measures being taken by all three school boards in this district, um, you know, those are certainly important issues as well. I think underlying a lot of the issues that we're seeing is a sense of corporate greed and growing income inequality and corporations and institutions resistant to raise things like raising the minimum wage, resistance to true environmental and racial justice in our housing systems, in our healthcare systems. And I think that's a really at the forefront of a lot of people's mind here in this district. Yeah. Chinani Ramachandran, let's stay with you as we go into some of these policy issues. I want to start with just a, a simple question about housing. Is housing a human right? Housing is absolutely a human right. I have been a part of multiple housing rallies and marches that have declared housing a human right and try to take back that word. It's been, this is a phrase that's been used by tenants' rights activists and groups, including the many that have endorsed me in this race, including um, the renowned Oakland Tenants Union. 
Um, this is something that has been used by tenants' rights activists and communities that I am a part of um, for, for several decades. And unfortunately, it's being co-opted by individuals who do not actually believe housing is a human right, who allow real estate developers to fund their campaigns, who allow um, tenants to be evicted, and who are really paying lip service to the issue. So when voters hear me talk about housing being a human right, they know I've fought for tenants. They know I've been to the site of encampment evictions. They know that I've already advocated passionately for repealing the Ellis Act and repealing Costa Hawkins as well. So it is a human right, and I'm going to make sure that it is one. If elected, I would be just one out of three tenants out of 120 lawmakers. And that kind of representation absolutely does matter. Um, I actually, frankly, got into this race because of my work as a tenants' rights attorney, particularly during the pandemic, working with um, particularly elderly individuals in this district and survivors of domestic violence who had been evicted during the pandemic despite our completely inadequate statewide eviction moratorium. Mia Bonta, um, is housing as a human right the right framework and the one that you use in thinking about what you'd like to do uh, around housing in, in the assembly? Housing is absolutely a, a human right. I think, unfortunately, we do need to move beyond the hashtags that we often hear uh, in this campaign and from, from the other candidate in this race. Uh, right now, we have people who are homeless, who are un unhoused, and who are experiencing the kind of displacement because of a lack of uh, supports and a, a lack of affordability uh, that makes it impossible for people to ensure that they have a roof over their head from one, from one month to the other. As somebody who moved 13 times in 16 years and experienced housing insecurity directly, I know the pain and the and the chaos that that kind of, that causes and and the inhumanity that it can feel like it brings uh, to people who are who are experiencing that. Absolutely, we need to make sure that uh, that everybody has an opportunity to be housed uh, because it is the at the core of our humanity. And in that sense, housing is a human right. Uh, I find it really kind of striking that uh, somebody who uh, is endorsed and supported and proactively seeks out the endorsement of people who are NIMBYs and who do everything that they can to stop development uh, and to stop the opportunity for affordable housing to exist and to uh, keep in place exclusionary practices uh, speak so uh, callously about the fact that housing is a human right. Janani, I want to give you a chance to respond to what Mia Bonta just said, which is, I think, a reference to your... Um, I don't know if it's a relationship, how you want to describe it with some groups in Alameda. Um, do you want to talk about, do you, how, how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, I'm proudly endorsed by the Oakland Tenants Union, by which has fought for the rights of tenants for decades. Um, Oakland Tenants Union, sure, takes some positions that are no, not pro-developers because as someone who's a tenant myself, we don't believe developers should get a free pass in the name of housing. Unlike my opponent, I have not received over $50,000 from big real estate developers and others who are trying to profit off of some of these so-called housing production bills. Any housing issue that I view has to be through a tenants' rights framework. And other groups, including East Bay for Everyone, that's a very pro housing group that's endorsed me as well, believe in those intersections and needing to, yes, protect tenants and build housing that is truly affordable. So unlike my opponent, I actually put my money where my mouth is and don't accept funds from the very institution trying to make sure that housing is not a human right, including large real estate developers. Janani, then um, if real estate developers are not going to build the housing, how would you like to see housing get built? 
um, real estate developers certainly obviously have a role in producing housing, but I think it's what's missing. And the, the biggest component that we are grossly behind on in our statewide arena goals are low income and very low income housing. And it's extremely difficult for small local real estate developers, particularly ones owned by local minority individuals, many of whom that um, I've been interacting with in the course of this campaign who would love to build affordable housing. It's not possible given the high cost of uh, land, given the cost of permitting, the bureaucracy, and frankly, corruption behind it that I have witnessed through my term on the city of Oakland Public Ethics Commission, um, what's one critical part of the solution is social housing, making sure that the government is building a public uh, development corporation and enabling public-private partnerships to happen and allowing housing that's truly affordable to actually be built. We do need to build housing, but we need to make sure there's equity in who is able to build this. And making sh- and so one idea that I've been putting forward in order to address some of these inequities is a speculator tax. Um, making sh- And some jurisdictions have actually implemented this in Canada, interestingly enough, where if you're a large real estate developer or a foreign-owned real estate developer, you would be taxed at a higher rate um, for owning more than five or six parcels in a particular zip code, which to me is one way to make sure outside speculators that are a significant cause of the housing crisis, especially after 2007 and eight. Um, it, that's one way to make sure that we are able to restore the ability of local small minority owned developers to to what they're able to do. But beyond I, that, I want to I'm going to cut in just real quick. I want to get back to uh, Mia Bonta. Um, Mia Bonta, where should we build more housing and how do you see us? We need to build housing in in areas that ensure that uh, people aren't displaced. Uh, We need to build housing in a way that ensures that people aren't displaced. We need to be able to build housing uh, in in transit areas so that we can diminish the amount of transportation that we have uh, to be able to preserve uh, the climate action activities that we need to be taking. Uh, And we need to preserve our ability to have people who are uh, reaching for home ownerships and are able to finally uh, realize uh, the wealth that comes with having an asset like a home uh, be able to be protected in that. We need to build housing uh, where in in single family zoned areas uh, in cities like Alameda, that's a big controversy. We've had groups like the, uh, the at like the Alameda Citizens Task Force uh, that uh, uh, Ramachandran attended a, a fundraising for and who's, who are actively fundraising for her, uh, who have kept us from being able to actually support multi-unit housing uh, in single family zones because of, of the exclusionary practices and the racist practices that have been embedded in how we're doing so. How do we fund it? Uh, We need to ensure that we're building the infrastructure, that we're taking those one-time capital funds uh, that the state has provided, that the feds will provide to be able to do that. Uh, And we need to ensure that we're uh, working with people who have the ability to do it. We have an opportunity with 100% affordable housing uh, developers uh, to increase those people who are actually able to do that and to provide them incentives by relieving the tax debt that they have uh, to be able to build up more affordable low-income, extremely low-income housing in this time. Mubanta, is there a way to drive down the cost of construction, as Janani uh, Ramachandran pointed out, I think rightly, which is one of the major problems with housing production here in the Bay Area? I think one way to drive down the cost of construction is by not letting developers get away with uh, uh, in, the, in lieu of fees that make them not even build the, build the affordable housing units in the first place uh, and to move towards a, a, a higher number of affordable housing units that uh, developers are expected to 
provide beyond the 15% that they uh, that are currently built into many of the deals uh, that are put forward. I think if we do that across the state uh, and hold the line across the state, then a developer can't uh, decide to try to pit one county or city against the other uh, in declaring that it's too expensive to build the housing that we rightfully need. I want to ask uh, Janani Ramachandran, and I'm going to come back to you on the same question, Miyabanta. Um, do you agree with this statement? If we build a lot more housing, home prices and rents will come down. No, I don't. We need to build mindfully. We can't build purely market rate developments um, in the house and expect the housing uh, prices to fall and rent prices to fall. Yes, of course. Supply doesn't mean demand. Simple economics. Uh, we that will lead to uh, that will lead to some um, housing prices falling. But what we're really lacking, particularly in this district, are low income um, housing units. And you see that in Oakland right now throughout the course of this pandemic. We have some of these beautiful new market rate condominiums that um, are up and are completely empty. And yet you see over 10,000 unhoused individuals in the city of Oakland. So there is a clear discrepancy in the types of housing that we're building. We, we do need to build, we need to build um, over 3 million units, I believe, across California in the next five years, um, over that, sorry. And we it needs to not only be market rate development, particularly in this side of the district. But one thing that's really important to me as a tenants rights attorney and activist is making sure that as we build, we're not allowing um, Costa Hawkins to continue at the way that it is, because any new housing that is built is automatically not going to be rent controlled because Costa Hawkins, the state law that ties the hands of local jurisdictions to not expand rent control will prevent any new housing that's built from actually being rent controlled. So even if a housing unit is slated as affordable initially and some developers using that as an excuse to get a density bonus, um, we need to simultaneously make sure that houses can stay rent controlled. Um, as new construction um, happens, because right now the provision is if a house is a half if a house was built um, after the late 80s and blanking on the year on the year here in Oakland, it will automatically not be covered by rent control. Same thing with Costa Hawkins and vacancy control. If a unit is rent controlled and then someone moves out, um, the owner automatically has the ability to bring that back to market rate, right? and that is a huge part of the problem. Making sure housing stays affordable if it once was originally affordable. I want to bring in um, Melanie from Oakland as we begin some listener comments and questions here. Uh, Melanie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. What's your uh, um, question for the candidates? So, first of all, I'm actually very excited about both candidates, and it's actually hard to choose for once. We have two activist, progressive women of color, which is an amazing choice to have to make, um, but hard. And what I'm wondering, and I've read both your websites completely, I know your stances, but I'm a social worker. I work in reentry, folks coming back from jail and prison and reintegrating, and I live in your district. And I'm wondering, I understand we need housing, we need living wages, we need folks to have access to health care and school and all of the things that are disparate. But while addressing those bigger things, how do we in the immediate, not five, ten years from now, but how do we today address our gun violence, murders, increase in violent crimes in our district? Um, my husband was pistol whipped and robbed. And these things are getting worse, not better. And your platforms both address 
what we need long term to make those things stop, you know, stop them at the source and childhood. But the truth is, that's not going to stop what's going on today. So how do we do that? What are your plans for today with a shortened police budget with sort of a call to I'm going to cut in here real quick, Melanie. Melanie, thank you so much. I, I, we, we take your question. Short term uh, crime plan. And let's go to you, Mia Bonta. Melanie, I love your question. And I think it's really at the heart of what the difference is between me and the other candidate in this race. Uh, I've been working on solutions for today, every day for the past 20 years for children and youth in particular, and uh, and thank you for the work that you've done to be able to lift up and ensure that um, that our, that people have a pathway to reentry. So right now, uh, we do have in our three cities uh, a lot of a lot of focus on making sure that we have alternatives to uh, to be able to address the to to reform and restructure our criminal justice system, which I think is absolutely critical. Like one thing that we need to do today is ensure that we just completely dismantle the cradle to uh, to prison pipeline that so many, particularly our children of color uh, experience right now. Um, we need to make sure that we actually have programs and supports and a statewide framework that allows for citizens who are coming back and uh, into, into, uh, into our community to be received uh, with arms wide open, with pathways to be able to get work and jobs that they deserve and need, um, to families that uh, can continue to be connected to them. And that really requires us to have a very strong uh, safety net system that includes the nonprofits and the community-based organizations, the trusted providers who are with us every single day in our communities, uh, making those things happen. Um, and they need to be supported by county programs, uh, city programs to be able to do that. Um, I believe that uh, the problems of today uh, that many of us uh, are facing uh, are really already being solved by so many of our nonprofits that continue to be undervalued and, and under-resourced. And, and that's one of the things that I want to focus on when I'm in the state. We're talking with the two candidates vying to represent Assembly District 18 in the East Bay. You just heard Mia Bonta, president of the Alameda Unified School District Board of Education. And we also have Janani Ramachandran. We'll be back with more Forum after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with the two candidates up for a, in a special election in Assembly District 18 in the East Bay. We have Janani Ramachandran and Mia Bonta. Before the break, we were talking about short-term crime plans, a uh, question from caller Melanie in Oakland, and I'd like to give uh, Janani a chance to respond to that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your question, Melanie. I, too, come from the social work field. Prior to law school, I was a home visiting case manager with teen moms and immigrant mothers. And um, I really value the work that social workers do with these populations. So thank you so much. Um, Actually, unlike my opponent, I have been in the trenches in this district doing this very work, uh, particularly relating to getting to the roots of public safety issues and violence. Um, I've worked with so many survivors of domestic violence. And when it comes to safety, the reality is people need options. 
80% of survivors of violence, unfortunately, don't find the police um, harm, helpful, and many find them harmful in their in unique situations. Um, but the reality is there's are, there are some individuals who are survivors of violence that do want the police officers to respond in their moment of crisis, particularly if it involves a firearm. So someone like me, I believe in having options. I've been a volunteer with the Anti-Police Terror Project's Mental Health First program here in Oakland that similarly provides options for individuals experiencing mental health crisis who don't feel comfortable calling the police because we know that if a person of color who calls who has the police called on them while experiencing mental health crisis is four times more likely to die or be harmed at the hands of police officers. Uh, similarly, I've been very involved in three different restorative justice um, organizations in this district that frankly do life-saving work. One of those is Men Creating Peace, which works with former perpetrators of violence um, to make sure that, and it's a program run and founded by men who are former perpetrators of violence themselves and making sure we're moving to a system where we have the core values of accountability um, and healing as well. And when it comes to healing, a huge part of that is stronger mental health services. As a state commissioner on the Commission for Asian and Pacific Islander American Affairs, I've worked to help um, thankfully now pass the API equity budget, which would provide that missing gap of mental health services for victims of violence, for uh, victims of hate crimes. Okay, John, and I'm going to cut in really quickly just so we can get to another um, another listener call. Um, Laura in Oakland, thank you for that answer. Hello. Can you hear me? Hi, Laura. Yes, go ahead. We can hear you. Okay, so I'm Laura Jo Fu, and I'm a resident of Oakland. And for the past seven years, um, I've been part of the No Coal in Oakland campaign, <clears throat> trying to keep developer Tagami from building a coal terminal down at the waterfront. Um, it, uh, as, as both candidates should know, the city of Oakland banned the shipment of coal through, through the city, and it's been tied up in litigation. So the question I have for both um, candidates is uh, regarding the proposed shipping terminal to the mm-hmm. Bay Bridge Soap Plaza. How do you think the conflict over whether or not to ship coal through the terminal should be resolved. Mm. If you are elected to represent the district that includes the waterfront property, what role could you play in resolving the controversy? Thank you so much for that question, Laura. Crucial climate change question here locally. Mia Banta, let's start with you. Uh, I absolutely was in support of uh, the work that you all have done and many of us have done to ensure uh, that we remove the possibility of coal uh, wreaking havoc coming too close to our shores. We know the the kind of uh, the kind of health impacts that that has on uh, particularly our West Oakland community uh, when we've allowed that to happen in terms of the toxins in the air. Uh, I believe that we uh, that the that the city of Oakland uh, made a deal uh, and uh, it was an unfortunate and it was unfortunately a bad deal for. Uh, for for the city of Oakland and uh, and I think that the way that we need to get out of this particular commitment to keep coal from uh, coming anywhere near our shorelines is to ensure that uh, that we get out of that deal. If it needs to be by settlement, then uh, then that's what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's uh, that's what I believe. Janani, 
I'm um, very, very supportive of the No Coal in Oakland campaign and grateful for the work that you've done to prevent um, rising levels of um, air pollution in West Oakland um, that we've seen has been rising over the years because of um, unrestrained permits to polluting industries. And I'm proud to be supported and endorsed by organizations that that were at the forefront of the No Coal in Oakland movement, including the ILWU, including 350 Bay Area Action, Communities for a Better Environment Action, and many others who are at the forefront of this movement and know that I am going to be the environmental justice champion to work alongside all of you to make sure that we can make sure that we're stopping the transportation of our coal and getting out of this bad deal. Um, because, you know, while a lot of other environmental justice bills re regarding oil extraction and in other industries are not as salient of a concern in our district, the transportation of coal certainly is. And when you have children in West Oakland, Black children in West Oakland, who are five to six times more likely to die of asthma because this is an EJ community already, we need to make sure we're not adding to that by allowing further transportation of coal. Thank you so much for those answers. And I, I just wanted to clarify uh, one thing, Miyabanta, um, on settlement, what that would probably mean is that we'd be paying the developers of that coal, uh, of the proposed coal terminal in order to get out of that deal. Is that what we're talking about? If, uh if it keeps us from keeping coal uh, close to our shorelines uh, and it would allow us to be able to, and secondarily, if we are allowed to be able to uh, focus on coal exports so that we don't have shipping um, coal from Asia to Oakland, um, uh, then I think that we, uh, that we need to ensure that that happens. Um, yeah. It's an unfortunate part of, of, of where we are with that particular yeah. transaction. Worth worth noting too that the city of Oakland has lost some lawsuits, so it may be that they're the the hands of the of the city are tied. Um, let's take a, a listener comment here. Um, we need fresh ideas about how to help homeless people with mental health issues just living out their days in squalor on the city streets. What can the state government do to help? And I know that encampments have been a hot issue in. Um, this district specifically. Janani, let's start with you. I firmly believe as someone that's worked closely in my direct services role um, back when I was a home visiting case manager at a community health clinic, I believe that our state government unfortunately takes this very narrow-minded one-size-fits-all solution to homelessness. Um, and what's missing is the realities on the ground that of course, there are many individuals who are unhoused because they suffer from addiction. There are many people that are unhoused because they suffer from developmental disabilities. And sure, there's intersections, but these are not the same things. There are, of course, survivors of domestic violence. In fact, 80% of women who are unhoused are survivors of domestic violence, and many cite this as their immediate cause of homelessness. And of course, there are youth that have run away from home, including LGBT youth and trans particularly transgender youth. And for every one of these categories of individuals and the many others that exist, we need different solutions. Tiny homes aren't working for anyone. We've seen the absolute failure of Oakland's tough shed programs that treats our unhoused community as essentially prisoners. And I know my opponent supports individuals that have, are the spearhead of, pro of failed projects like these that cost us way too much money. In fact, in Oakland, we spend over $30,000 per every unhoused individual. And that money is very obviously not going into the right places. Jenny, is there a place that you have seen their homelessness policy working and you'd like to emulate that? 
you know, one of the things we actually have seen in Oakland that was not implemented by our city government um, was the Youth Spirit Artworks uh, Tiny Homes Project that was specifically a community-oriented model uh, run for and by youth um, that really popped up uh, around the, the course of this pandemic. We also have um, other autonomous-run um, homeless uh, communities that, like the Village Oakland, that was unfortunately taken over by um, our mayor, who is not um, for community-run models to address our homelessness crisis, but people that are unhoused know their needs the best. And unfortunately, our policymakers don't wanna go with that mentality. We're lacking compassion and empathy when we think about the homelessness crisis, truly. And we're not spending money in the right places, partly because it's become so politicized. We spent over $13 billion as a state over the past two years on our homelessness crisis. And our state auditor has, herself has said, this is not going into the right places. We've had multiple pieces of legislation that our governor has vetoed in, in attempts to have a more centralized solution, a 10-year plan, a five-year plan. But instead, our political leaders at the state and local level, particularly the state level, love to try to throw throw money at the problem for the photo ops and hope it goes away. And that's a huge part of why this is persisting in the way that it is. And Mia Bonta, I, I want to kind of Mia Bonta, um, I want to hear about your plans for addressing homelessness in the district via the assembly. Yeah, see, that's the problem with this. The other opponent in this race, there, there's a lot of grandstanding standing and hashtags and a lot of just, you know, just, <laughs> a lot of name calling that's happening. I think uh, you. this specific question was around mental health supports and services. One thing that we know that we've underinvested in, um, in schools, in our cities, and in, in infrastructure is really mental health and wellness across, uh, across our communities. We need to be able to uh, amplify the, uh, the city supports, the county supports, and as I've said before, the kind of nonprofit infrastructure and community-based health organizations that are already providing trusted supports uh, in mental health and wellness. We need to ensure that there's access. The reality is that uh, because as a society, we have uh, divested in the importance of mental health, uh, we're seeing the impacts of that, in, particularly with our homelessness and population. So what do we need to do? Um, the state has actually provided a very diverse uh, set of programs to be able to support cities in addressing homelessness. One of the critical things we need to do, we talked about affordable housing, particularly for extremely low and, and, and low income families. Uh, we also need to ensure that when a person is homeless and experiencing the kind of uh, factors that go into creating that homelessness, they have uh, the ability to have individualized, independent supports uh, for uh, and solutions provided to them. Uh, it's true, not everybody is ex experiencing homelessness for the same reason, uh, and we lose sight of our ability to be able to support them if we're not taking into consideration what their particular circumstances are in addressing those. Um, so many people are getting disconnected from their families so many because of mental health concerns. Um, so many people are getting disconnected because of substance abuse and use, and we absolutely need to move to a state where we're um, uh, to a state where we are providing more resources that are more individualized, that are provided through trusted providers, uh, either community-based organizations, health organizations, um, or and and that it, we have a, a global um, a way to apply that so that uh, people who are experiencing transients um, have an ability to receive those services regardless of uh, their movement from one county to another. Yeah. Um, a good example of that in Alameda is the, the wellness center that um, has been uh, created and is in the vision of a lot of uh, incredible progressive leaders in the city of Alameda and the electives here. 
And we had to fight really hard to be able to have uh, that wellness center because people, uh, many NIMBYs in the community, NIMBYs that are supported uh, and that this other candidate is being is supporting, um, uh, didn't want. And it is our way to be able to introduce humanity of, of our neighbors taking care of each other. Yeah. Um, Mia Banta, we have a question specifically for you. Let's bring in Spencer from Oakland, California. Hi, uh, I'm an Oakland resident, born and raised. Uh, I live currently live in East Oakland. I bought my house here and I work in East Oakland. Uh, I just kind of want to know from, from each candidate's perspective what their top priorities are for East Oakland. What are you going to do for East Oakland? I know Ms. Bonta currently lives in Alameda, uh, you know, was born in New York. Uh, I do appreciate that uh, Janani lives in Oakland. Uh, but I just want to know what their priorities are for East Oakland, specifically also for the kids in our in our poorly uh, producing uh, Oakland Unified Schools. Um, I know Ms. Bonta took a lot of money from teachers unions uh, in this election, and I want to know what she's going to do to stand up to them when needed. And we have almost a $600 million budget for OUSD. And just like Janani was saying, how a lot of money uh, towards homeless is going to the wrong places, it's very clear that a lot of our education money is being misspent because that's a lot of money to a lot of, that, that could be helping a lot of kids. It's just not. Um, so I, I appreciate your answers to the question. And as someone who was born and raised here and lives here, I just really want, we're, we're the largest representation in this district, uh, the, you know, the largest voter group in this district. And I want to know what you guys are going to do for our community, specifically for our kids who aren't lucky enough to go to charter schools, who aren't lucky enough to go to private schools, um, who want a future too. And I appreciate you. Thanks, Spencer. Mia Bonta, what do you want to do for East Oakland uh, kids in school? I think one of the things that we need to do in East Oakland is recognize the generational harms that have been caused uh, and perpetrated on children in East Oakland. The reality is that we haven't had equitable spending in that we haven't had equitable spending in East Oakland in education or in entrepreneurship, in housing development, or any of it. And I'm proud that. Uh, uh, council members Trevor Reed and uh, Council Member Lauren Taylor are both working so hard to be able to ensure um, that that equity question gets lifted up and and is really brought front and center in in the East Bay and in Oakland right now. Um, uh, I am proud to be able to have the support of of, of our educators and parents uh, and people throughout our community, and I'm proud to have worked uh, for so many years to lift up and support children in, in East Oakland. Uh, the, the, the challenge that we have is a structural issue uh, that really relates back to the state receivership uh, that, the, that the city of Oakland and Oakland Unified uh, School District just haven't been able to get out from under. And I do think it's one of the critical roles that this legislator is going to be able to need to play is to support OUSD in getting out of what I call uh, the fiscal enslavement it's been under uh, where we haven't been able to dedicate the resources that we need uh, to be able to support um, all to, to support students in in their needs um, in East. Oh, ahead. thank you, Miyabata. I was going to thanks so much. Um, just want to do a little bit of a, a lightning round here, um, starting with uh, Janani Ramachandran. Um, where do you stand on getting rid of single-family zoning in any significant capacity? And I'll give both these to both of you. 
Um, I do support eliminating uh, exclusively single family residential zoning, but like I mentioned before, we need to do this alongside making sure Costa Hawkins is repealed and the Ellis Act is repealed because that's fine if we're building um, multifamily units, but we need to make sure there's an anti-demolition component um, and we need to make sure that um, existing tenants in some of these houses um, that are being demolished have adequate protections. Perfect. Mia Banta, getting rid of single family zoning? We need to get rid of single family zoning, I think, because it also uh, continues the legacy of the kind of of racial divides that have led to the economic divides that the previous caller was just talking about when we think about the communities like deep, like East Oakland and parts of Alameda and San Leandro. Yeah. Um, Cal Poly Democrats ask, how do you feel about the Howard Terminal Project, especially its impact on jobs and environmental justice? Mia Bonta? I believe that we have an opportunity with the Howard Terminal Project to be able to ensure uh, that uh, that working people have uh, have the jobs that they deserve in the city of Oakland, uh, and I believe that we have a pathway to be able to ensure uh, that the that the uh, the, envir- the environmental impacts are thoroughly reviewed and uh, and and taken care of in the production of the of the project. We have a long way to go. Um, as a city, county, and a state to ensure that that happens. Uh, but I do believe we have a pathway to be able to ensure that we can build the house power terminal, ensure uh, that working families have the jobs that they deserve in the city of Oakland, uh, and that we have the affordable housing that we need within that as well. Janani Ramachandran? Yeah, that's a real cop-out answer from my opponent. I am the only candidate in this race who sees the clarity that most residents of Oakland certainly see. This is not a project about economic development. This is not about jobs for Oakland. This never has been. This is about billionaire interests and billionaire-owned sports teams. I'm proud to be the only candidate in this race who took an uncompromising stand against the Howard Terminal Project because having visited it myself, having understood the realities on the ground regarding the infrastructure, the environment, and the 85,000 well-paid unionized jobs that are at stake. It's completely unfeasible. It will be a burden on taxpayers, on Oakland taxpayers. It will cause gentrifications. There is no component for affordable housing in this system. The environmental impacts, um, the project would increase emissions by over 45% in an already, in a community that suffers high levels of toxicity. Thank you, Janani Ramachandran and Mia Bonta. They're the two candidates for Assembly District 18. You've got your choice on August 31st. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.